This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you once again. Plenty to get to here. New recruit rankings are out by 24-7 Sports. Uh, some impact on Penn State commits. A couple of major risers to get to that Penn State is targeting, looking to add to the class. Got a chance to speak with a, a couple of Penn State senior defensive players this week on Zoom calls. A few takeaways from those conversations. Our friends at CBS have coach rankings up across college football. Where did James Franklin land? Where did his peers in the Big Ten end up on that list? We'll go through that a bit later. But Sean, after two months of cancellations, postponements, doom and gloom essentially in the sports world, this has been a productive week, it seems, across professional sports at the college level with at least glimmers of hope popping up. And we got our we got our latest uh, on on Wednesday in the form of an NCAA uh, proposal that uh, they voted actually the council to approve voluntary athletic activities football men's basketball women's basketball beginning June first uh, a lot more to get into but let's just start there on the surface this is progress the money sports are leading the way but honestly they they should I mean that's uh, that's where we're at right now uh, no trying to gloss that over I mean football I think is is the jewel here, and that's the one that they want to uh, get get in motion as soon as possible. I mean, uh, I think to be a situation where they end up playing a full season or playing most of a season, you have to make an exception for football and just kind of, you know, look the other way when you talk about, uh, you know, the equality between the students and all that kind of stuff. So you want to get this taken care of. Uh, there's so much money at stake here, and I'm, I'm not surprised that that's going that way. Now, I mean, is that going to happen by June 1st? I'm a little uh, skeptical of that. I talked to some people, you know, at Penn State this week, and and they seem to be skeptical of that in addition to the Ohio State uh, June 8th date that came out this week, uh, you know, as reported. But uh, yeah, I think by July, I mean, that's uh, that's pr- pretty much the target, the goal to, to get people back and to, to get going. Like I said, no idea where this is going to turn. I know Big Ten, the Big Ten does not want to play a spring schedule. They want to, you know, get games in this fall. Is that going to have to be a, a truncated season, or you know, get rid of the non-conference or, or start playing in October? I mean, I'm not sure how that's going to play out, but I, I think there's options on the table. I, I, that is the thing that I've heard consistently is there's a lot of options on the table um, in terms of laying things out, in terms of you know, uh, you know, contingency plans and going this way and going that way and, and figuring out how they can, uh, they can go. Cause I mean, you will have to intersparse it with the academic calendar at some point, but, uh, you know, you, you really football is so important to the, the fabric of, uh, you know, college and college athletics that, you know, at some point you're just going to have to, to just go with it. And that's, uh, you know, whether that's the safest thing or not, it's not for me to decide, it's not for you to decide, but uh, I think that they're just trying to do whatever they can to, to salvage this football season. And, you know, for a football fan, that's great. Um, and, and we'll see 
how that turns out in a couple of months from now. But uh, yeah, they want to play football this fall. I think that uh, getting things back together, starting with this sort of uh, this voluntary athletic ruling um, is a step. But I, I think we're far from from seeing the the end game here. Yeah, and just like everything in this process, you know, it's it's a day to day deal, and we're talking about trying to fly a plane through a storm with the moving target where you need to land. Because again, every day things you know evolve. We've talked about it with uh, the athletic directors, with the NCAA administration, and all the way up to statewide leaders, federal leaders. It just seems like you're just not quite sure. It's not a consistent. Uh, resolution on, on when things are going to evolve. And there's differing opinions, which really factor in here at the state level, um, at, at university level. Institutions have different thoughts on opening their campuses. So uh, it's not like you, you've got everybody on board and they're going to hit this thing together from the jump. It is interesting. And, and you and I, we don't have that scientific expertise. We don't have expertise in leading hundreds, if not thousands of people uh, through times of crisis. And you're going to need to do pretty good with both of those elements and marry them if you want this thing to work out smoothly. And I think that that's a big factor to remember here is that uh, it's not just the NCAA saying, here, we figured it out. Here's the magic wand. You can get to campus now. It's it's also working within institutions and states. And, and as of right now, uh, Center County, where you and I call home, you can't get together with more than 25 people uh, through at least May. We're talking June 1st here. So something would need to change if you're going to get that many guys together for a football practice. And by the way, mom and dad back home, I think, are going to have some serious questions about the health of their son, who, you know, long ago on the recruiting trail, they were promised would be looked at after very well for these four or five years on campus. So Penn State coaches, Penn State administration, and then across the board, college football coaches, college administration, they're going to have a lot of tough conversations with these parents and players as well, because quite frankly, the optics don't look great because you're talking about the high cash sports here coming back and asking them to come back ahead of millionaires who are playing basketball, ahead of the millionaires who are playing uh, baseball. So, uh, you know, again, the optics, they tend not to look great with the NCAA. Uh, and I think there's something to be said here. If you go check Twitter, you'll notice some pretty hot takes. and and But there's validity to a lot of those takes in, in this situation, I do believe. The rare time on Twitter where you can go and just find some scorchers out there. So uh, Gene, Gene Smith, the athletic director from Ohio State, uh, made a point that they're probably, uh, you know, they're, they're looking into one of those contingencies as playing in front of a limited audience. I think he, he threw out the number 20,000 for the shoe. Um, so pretty much anything that you would throw out for Ohio State, you would think uh, from a stadium capacity uh, standpoint, Penn State would probably be similar. I, I've heard 15,000 thrown about. Don't know how they would decide that. Don't know how that would happen. Um, but, uh, you know, if that's if I think if that's the cost for the season, especially with the, the TV money and everything like that, I think if that's the cost for the season, I, I still think that's a pretty good deal. So um, it's going to be the press box number, Sean. I don't think we can afford to lose a single person out of that press box. Everyone is an essential uh, worker, don't you think? Essential is is one way to put it. Um, be, be nice to lose the press box during this thing in itself, I, yeah. not necessarily with anybody inside. But uh, uh, yeah, that's I, I've thought about that. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting because the next time we're up there, you know, probably going to be in masks and stuff. So uh, be be interesting to see. And that's that. Those are close quarters. I mean, you can't. I don't think you can get six feet away from anybody in that press box. 
The dessert bar might need to be adjusted at Beaver Stadium, which is it's heartbreaking for some of us. Um, and, and as you said, uh, we, you know, we're going through this process. We're hearing from these different leaders. Um, we, we have heard Lincoln Riley out of Oklahoma say he thinks it's ridiculous to anticipate uh, that June 1st is going to be a, a, an appropriate start date at, at his school. We've also heard, you know, uh, there was some exclusive reporting from Brandon Marcello at 24-7 Sports uh, speaking with the Big 12 commissioner, and, and they are targeting somewhere in June as a resumption of on-campus athletic activities. But again, these are all conversations that weren't being had just a couple weeks ago, or if they were being had, it was a lot more uh, dicey in terms of the timeline. I think as long as we're, uh, I think this is really potentially setting up to give us a lot of cushion for the lead up to college football. And that's been important for a long time. We heard Franklin say, hey, maybe you don't need more than four weeks, but at the same time, you know, he would love uh, and, and coaches across the country would love closer to 60 days than four weeks because you're not just expecting to get guys on campus and hand them their pads and say, put them on, let's play football. There's going to need to be an adjustment period. There's going to need to be um, a, a, a kind of a rehabilitation of where they at from, from a physical standpoint and a reassessment of where everybody is and just get them back. And by the way, you've got new freshmen to deal with who are going to be getting to campus. 16 new freshmen who have not enrolled yet are, are going to are right now chomping at the bit to be able to do so. So there's a lot of factors here. One other thing that came up this week uh, in kind of the same scope, Sean, Division Two, they have given the green light for in-person recruiting starting in June. So that's a month ahead of where uh, Division One football is right now. That dead period extended through the end of June. Um, obviously, there's a lot less travel. There's uh, a, it's, it's, it's a much smaller scale in terms of what you're looking at in, in visits on campus and events. But still, maybe this is going to be viewed, well, certainly this is going to be viewed as kind of a trial run. And, and you hate to use the phrase guinea pig, but I think in a lot of ways, Division One coaches are going to see what works, what doesn't um, at the Division Two level, which if it goes ahead right now, we're talking about players being able to, to meet with coaches in person for the first time since March. And, and what's interesting about that is you've got uh, the opportunity for uh, for coaches to go and see these kids and uh, you know they're, they're also bound by local health laws I think that's something that that, that is probably gonna you know cause an uproar in some spot some parts of the country because let's be honest I mean you even when talking about the big Ten I mean we hear about Iowa opening we hear about a, a lot of these schools that want to open and you know a lot of them are midwest and and a little bit more secluded now state college is obviously secluded but um, you know you've got uh, sort of a different situation closer to the east i mean i know rutgers is not going to have anybody on campus what uh, mid-august i think it is I mean, it's hard to it's hard to really fathom what rutgers is going to be able to do it's directly in between philadelphia and new york city it's got train access to both cities and it's you know that's it's what it's 40 minutes you're you're staying in manhattan when you get on a train at rutgers so we know Manhattan's the epicenter for, for a lot of this right now. and But it, it, to your point, the old South Jersey-North Jersey split couldn't be more stark. I think there are fewer than 400 cases right now in my home county of Cape May County, which I, I'm really concerned that number may go up because of Memorial Day weekend and people flooding in there and being maybe irresponsible on uh, their vacation homes. But as of right now, let's say you've got less than 500 in Cape May County. You've got more than 15 going on 20,000 in some of the more populated counties in the north uh, of the state. So it just goes to show right there that, that, that you know, there's a stark contrast uh, across the Big Ten landscape. Yeah, and that, and that can be you know just sort of expanded to 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 scale to figure out some of these other things. You know, you know, is Chicago a hotspot? I I don't have the data in front of me and all that stuff. But you know, the closer you get to people, the more people that are going to have it. So, 
Um, I mean, it's uh, there's no right answer. But back to the D2 recruiting. I mean, I think it's it is a trial run. It gives uh, you know another step to go back. We'll see which way it goes, and we'll see which way these D2 coaches. I know that's not really our um, our, our market here, but we'll see which which way these D2 coaches go. Because I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of D2, D2 coaches that are like, okay, that's that's great, but I, I still don't want to do it. I still don't want to have camps. I still don't want to have all this kind of stuff to just for my safety and my family's safety. So it's uh, I. I I see why they did it. I mean, it's another step. And, and a lot of the stuff that they're saying right now, you just wonder how much is is hope and optimism versus how much is, you know, legitimately going to come true. I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier that June 1st date. I mean, Penn State's not having people back on campus on June 1st. I don't think there's any question. I mean, that's that's what? 10 days from now, nine days from now. Um, so uh, we're recording on Thursday, by the way. I'm not sure if, yeah, that's we, if we mentioned that. Weekend. Yeah. That's next yeah. weekend. Uh, yeah, yeah, that ain't happening. Yeah, so I, I don't know how that's going to work. I mean, Penn State's uh, coaches are not back to the Lash building yet. Uh, I don't know. It's it, it is a lot of stuff above us. I, I'm kind of skeptical, but I am wondering how much of that is optimism and hope versus how much is, is hard data that you're going to use to actually get back all by that time. And I don't want to skim over the fact, again, you're asking just in the football level, you know, more than 100 young men to get back to campus and you have to tell them why it's okay that they're on campus and no one else is allowed back on campus. And you got to explain that to mom and dad. And, uh, I, I just, you, 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 for, I think a lot of guys, cause we want to play football and it's important to Penn state and it's important for you. That's going to be enough of a sell. And for others, I don't know. And that's not just exclusively talking about Penn state. It's, it's talking about, you know, your, your superstar player all the way down to a walk on, uh, that, that you just need to contribute on the practice field during the fall. I just, I do wonder how those conversations are going to go. The one thing that's not in play here that is in play when we talk about pro sports is a player's union. It's been discussed for a long time. Uh, does the college athletics need it? Is it something that's important to, to give players more of a voice at the table, a seat at the table? Right now, you know, I think that's why you're seeing prolonged conversations with baseball, with basketball, uh, you know, with the NFL about where this thing's going to go is because there are more voices and the players, you know, it's it's a 50-50 situation. You can't resume without getting that green light from the players associations. And right now, um, you're essentially able to say, hey, guys, here's the dinner bell. Get back on campus. We're, we're playing football. Uh, these are voluntary. Wink, wink. You know, so I, I, I don't know what to make of it. Well, from that minor talking point to what really matters this week, uh, 24-7 Sports rolled out their updated recruiting Nicely rankings done. on Wednesday. We talked to Brian Doan about this uh, earlier this week, so check that out, check out that episode. We talked about a couple of the guys rising and a couple of guys um, that are, uh, I guess, uh, you know, on Penn State's board where they stand. Uh, not a ton of, t- uh, of, of movement from a Penn State commit list, uh, you know, point of view. A couple of guys down a couple of spots. That's just guys moving in front of them. I mean, nobody's rating – uh, changed. Landon Tengwall is 79th overall. Jalen Reed, 241 uh, in the top 247. Uh, a couple of targets making some big rises. Uh, Donovan McMillan, the safety from Peters Township, uh, number six in Pennsylvania, number 144 overall. I think we've had this discussion a couple of times now. Uh, you know, I think I think it's a little bit high, but, uh, you know, he's a, he's a good prospect. He's one of the guys that's left on Penn State's board in the secondary. It seemed, you know, the seeming that Tony Grimes' ship is at the dock ready to, to to set sail and you still got Dejon Warren and, and Derek Davis, but Donovan McMillan remains a target. He's going to come out with a, I believe top five list uh, next week. Uh, I believe he said uh, June 1st was the date. So keep an eye out for that. Penn State's still in the mix. A lot of schools still in the mix. It's going to be an interesting top five because he's got, 
I don't think he's very far into the process personally, just uh, from from talking to him and talking to those other around him. Uh, so him cutting it to five, I think, will be a, a, a big step for him, figure out where those official visits are going to be. Um, he wants to, you know, this is a kid that was going to take probably 10 or 15 visits this spring and summer um, and and figure out where he, you know, is wanted and where he feels most comfortable. I think, uh, you know, I think Penn State's still in it. I think Virginia Tech's still in it. Florida's in it. Texas A&M, um, a bunch of schools in that top 10. You could make an argument to, to be in that top five. So we'll see where Donovan McMillan goes, but 144 in, in the top 247. That's nearly 500 spots uh, of improvement in these rankings, particularly uh, for him. Actually, nearly 600, I should say. He was outside of the top 700 earlier this year. Um, and, and, and they, they've gotten together and they have clearly liked what they have seen from, from the junior film and upon discussions like who he is as an athlete. I think Brian Doan has repeatedly mentioned the fact that he has a wrestling success and they see that translating into some toughness and competitiveness. Um, I mean, the kid can tackle. This is not, uh, this is not a, a defensive back who's going to shy away. Uh, seems to have an excellent balance of athleticism and also, uh, that, that open field of ability to bring down the ball carrier. And that's, that's sometimes tough to match up uh, at the high school level. Uh, and uh, look, I, I think with McMillan here, uh, you've been saying it all along. He's, you know, this is not a case where Derek Davis, uh, who has had all the offers since his freshman year and gotten a chance to make a lot of visits. So much of this has been a whirlwind for him. And when he comes out of the coronavirus, coronavirus shutdown, you expect him to kind of hit the ground sprinting. Um, and, and it's kind of tough to, to figure out where exactly he's going to end up. But a big time, big time rise, kind of reminiscent to me of what we saw uh, from Keaton Ellis uh, last year in the 2019 cycle, I should say. Um, he had uh, you know five to 600 spots that he rose up. Uh, a lot of that was based off of, of his junior film and 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 the things he was able to do on the sp- on the spring camp uh, trail and. No camp trail here, but uh, you know I think this is a spot where Brian had mentioned as well. Um, if some of these guys had gone to camp, Penn State targets, Penn State commits, you'd be seeing their stock soaring. He mentioned Lonnie White specifically as a guy who really would have torn it up out there. Another target who who is a big riser, Sean. He's into the inside the top 100. He's up from outside the top 500 earlier. Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, South Carolina defensive tackle at a Gaffney High School. About six foot five, three hundred pounds. One of those John Scott offers that came after he was hired uh, here in Happy Valley as defensive line coach, replacing Sean Spencer. Uh, Ingram Dawkins put Penn State in his top schools list not too long ago, last week. Uh, we'll see where it goes from here. We'll see if he's able to make a visit uh, and catch up with Scott on campus eventually. But this is a major one. He was at five seventy five in these rankings in March. He is now at eighty six. So when you shave off that third digit. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, he's he's come up a long way, and I've been stressing for a long time. He's a top target of Penn State, top top target of Penn State. So uh, we'll see we'll see what comes of that. I mean, you've got uh, five Southern schools, of course. South Carolina in state uh, is right there, um, leading the crystal ball. Um, but uh, yeah, he's uh, he's really good, and I'm glad people have have caught on to that. Uh, I've been saying that for a while now. So he's a he's a big kid. I mean, he's he he's listing himself at at six six right now. So you know what? Even if he's six four at that position, you know that's perfectly fine um, to play like he does, to move like he does. Um, he's he's been. You know he he he's earned that that bump. He's a, he's a really good player. I'm not sure where he ends up. Obviously, Penn State 
would have to be considered a dark horse here more than anything. I mean, obviously not the favorite, but he's got that relationship with John Scott. He's a guy that I would have expected to visit in in the spring. Uh, don't know how that would have uh, you know affected his recruitment, but uh, here we are. Penn State's got to, got to get him on campus, got to get him for an official, and that's obviously not happening anytime soon. George Wilson up uh, about 20 spots, a very important target for Penn State uh, at defensive end, which is obviously a very important position for Penn State this cycle. Uh, North Carolina came through with an offer uh, last week, I think that's going to shake some things up because they're they are just on fire right now. Mac Brown's doing a, a fantastic job there. Uh, Zaire Patterson is a, is a defensive end in North Carolina that seems to be leaning to Clemson. And if he you know eventually pulls the trigger for Clemson, you know you can see more of a push for for North Carolina on George Wilson. So that's that's going to be interesting. You got to get him up to campus. I think Penn State among his top seven was probably the top school. Uh, North Carolina all of a sudden gets into it. Um, uh, location helps them as well. Um, momentum. North Carolina helps them. is like the the just steamrolling through college football recruiting right now. You think they were coming off like an eleven win season where they actually did beat Clemson? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the that's the thing. I mean, it's uh, when you've got you know obviously Mac, Mac Brown's got you know a pretty good reputation as being a coach, and the, you play in that division, you you can sell the uh, you know you can sell the uh, I guess the the highway to taking that program to national heights. Uh, do I buy it? Not still not yet. I mean, it's obviously a basketball school and it's, it's going to be a basketball school no matter pretty much what Mac Brown does with that program, but they've got so much talent in state this year and that's really where they're capitalizing. I mean, it's kind of, it, it is kind of like, uh, you know, when, when Penn State came on board and they got the dominate the state movement going and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, really wasn't much uh, behind the program at that point record wise. But, uh, you know, you had a lot of energy. And I know I know we're saying Mac Brown and energy in the same sentence, but uh, he's got those guys on the staff that have recruited the heck out of it. Dre Bly has has really been a thorn for for a lot of schools, including Penn State, especially down in that uh, Virginia area. They, you know, they that's the team probably to beat for Tony Grant right now so that's uh they've done a phenomenal job um so you know it's funny that we say an offer late in the process from north carolina could shake things up for a kid from virginia but here we are and that's not great news right now for for virginia for virginia tech for maryland but certainly penn state's beginning to butt heads with the tar heels more often and this really goes back to emory simmons uh, ending up with North Carolina at wide receiver in that 2019 class shortly after Mac Brown took over there. And, and that's kind of the first time it popped up, but it's been a bit of a pattern now where uh, we're seeing Penn State, North Carolina share some of these favorites lists for players. We'll see if that continues. Uh, another a bit of a rise here for Khalil Dinkins. Uh, he was an in-state player, uh, linebacker, tight end potentially. Um, let's, I think he's labeled as an athlete, six foot three, two twenty, out of North Allegheny. Um, he goes from an eighty-five to an eighty-eight. Penn State has offered. He's the son of a former Pitt player. Um, Sean, he, I, I don't know if he's maybe considered that uh, a name to know maybe on that second phase of the tight end list, if that's where Penn State sees him. But he also is, is making that move up. And uh, more, most importantly, and I know this is near and dear to you, the debut of Sander Sahadak in the 24-7 sports rankings. He is the number one place kicker in the country. Did not make in the two top twenty four seven, but with the ranking of with the rating of eighty one, he is number one among kickers currently in the twenty four seven sports ranking. So if if you're gonna take a kicker, why not take the one who's rated with that number one spot? We we talked about that with Doan the other day, and uh, kicker rankings are what they are. But yeah, it's good to good to get a rating on him, and he's the number one kicker by Coles. Um, he's obviously you know got uh, got a pretty good reputation, pretty good legs. So 
Um, not going to uh, tell anybody I know any more about kickers than than most, but uh, you know he should should be uh, should be a good one. So we'll see what happens with him. Uh, Khalil Dinkins, yeah, I do I do think he's a target uh, for Penn State. I mean, not on that level of the Brock Bowers and the Maliki Mataveo and and even Jack Pugh in in Ohio for that tight end board. But I, I think they would take him if, it, you know, I, it's, it's not going to happen anytime soon, just based on how the recruitment has played out, but they really like Dinkins. They're really intrigued by him. Uh, he's got a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of natural ability, obviously he's got the bloodline. His dad played in the NFL for a while. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's definitely a guy that I would keep an eye on. I don't know that he's going to end up in this class, but uh, I, I certainly would keep an eye on Khalil Dinkins out there at, uh, at North Allegheny. Just a quick rundown really quick because there was a bit of a shuffle here among the top Pennsylvania prospects. Nolan Rucci, who is the name to know as we move ahead for the 2021 Penn State class construction offensive tackle out of Warwick. He is number one. Jeremiah Trotter Jr., number two. Uh, Clemson linebacker commit. Ohio State quarterback commit. Kyle McCord is three. Derek Davis Jr., safety who's been on Penn State's radar for going on uh, three years at this stage, back to his freshman year at Gateway. He is number four. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., Ohio State wide receiver commit at six. McMillan, who we just went over quite a bit at uh, at number six, I should say, right behind number five, Harrison. Nakai Johnson out of West Mifflin, a defensive end who's committed to Pitt, number seven. Elijah Judy out of Philadelphia, another edge rusher committed to Georgia at number nine. Elliot Donald, uh, nephew of the best player in the NFL right now, you can argue. Aaron Donald, certainly the best defensive lineman in the NFL uh, out of Central Catholic in Pittsburgh. He is number nine. Uh, Pitt, the heavy favorite there. Penn State still involved. Taishim Young out of Philadelphia, a defensive back at number 10. And Lonnie White right outside that top 10, number 11 right now. But I think when, when we hear what Brian Doan said, and, and if we get another chance, I think we will to see Lonnie White play football this fall. I'd expect his trajectory to continue moving upward. He's got that four-star status now from 24-7 Sports, and I would not be shocked at all if we're seeing him really break into the top 10 in a big way, moving ahead as the ranking updates continue. Yeah, and it's worth noting just the top 247 this week was was all defensive prospect updates. So we'll see what happens next month. I guess they're going to go with offensive. I, I assume that's the next uh, the next step in this trajectory. But yeah, it's uh, uh, Pennsylvania. Is, it's a good year for Pennsylvania. We're going to get to that a little bit later in the five-star mailbag. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's an interesting top 10. I think there's some guys, uh, you know, that I might move around a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's for the most part, you see it's kind of a top-heavy, um, you know, list and 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 really there's a couple targets out there for Penn State that they, they need to close on. Yeah, and that, you look at that list, you don't see a lot of that Nittany Lions logo to the right in the column, so that's going to bother some people. And, and we actually, yeah, like you said, we're going to get to that conversation a bit in the mailbag because there was a question posed about Pennsylvania recruiting for this program. Quick note, because there is a ton of stuff up with these rankings right now, a lot of uh, VIP content coming from our rankings council and guys like Barton Simmons and Steve Wildfong and Brian Doan. 60% off an annual VIP membership to Lions 24-7, which gives you access to that unrivaled 24-7 sports recruiting network. Only until midnight Friday. So I know for some of you, you're like, thanks for the heads up. It's now Saturday or Sunday or Monday. This does nothing for me. We'll have future deals. But if you catch this before Friday at midnight, uh, worth a shot. 60% off an annual VIP subscription. Sean, some some action going on at wide receiver in the 2021 cycle. It seems to be the spot that is still the busiest in terms of new offers and, and how we're kind of navigating the process. Lonnie White, Liam Clifford. The aforementioned wide receivers who are listed as athletes getting interest on the defense defensive side of the ball. 
as of now, anticipating they will end up in the offensive room. Lonnie White, you heard from Brian Doan, a lot to like about his wide receiver abilities. And we've probably mentioned it at least six or seven times how impressed we both were by Liam Clifford on at Penn State's camp at wide receiver last summer. Moving ahead here, we know what's going on in Maryland. Big trio to look at, Caden Prather, Dante Thornton, and Jaleel Farouk. Farouk certainly seems to be gravitating towards Oklahoma. A lot of folks anticipating he will pair up with Caleb Williams and head to the Sooners. Uh, Caden Prather, maybe he's the next guy off the board on that wide receiver board. At least maybe a a condensed, narrowed focus of favorites coming up from him. And Dante Thornton is on the record as saying he's going to come in at the All-America Bowl uh, down in San Antonio in January. So the wait for a while, a little bit more on Thornton coming up. But new offers are going out in the meantime, Sean. Uh, we, we've got a lot of guys who, who have received them lately. Omega Blake, Demetrius Cannon, Andrew Wilson-Lamp, names who in the past four or five weeks have picked up offers. Wilson-Lamp, a West Virginia commit currently. And another name here, a kid I caught up with this week, Orande Gadston II. Probably remember his dad from the end of Dan Marino's career with the Miami Dolphins. He was one of their uh, top wide receivers uh, at the end of the Marino era. Stuck around a bit after. Ended up spending six years with Miami. uh, 20-plus touchdowns in his NFL career during that time. So there's some lineage here with Aronde Gadsden II. There is not a great ranking. I can tell you that right now. I think he's outside of the top 100, maybe outside of the top 120 in terms of how wide receivers are stacked up by 24-7 sports right now. But he's beginning to gain traction from Power 5 offers this spring out of American Heritage High School in Fort Lauderdale. And, and Penn State has stepped up. He had some communication with Taylor Stubblefield going back to Stubblefield's days with the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, readdressed his highlight film from his junior year uh, just in the past week or so. And and that ultimately led to him ending up on the target board for Penn State. Uh, Aronde Gadsden takes me back to my early days playing fantasy. That's uh, that's a long one. But man, that guy's hands are just absolutely some of the I, I think the biggest hands I've ever seen uh, at, at wide receiver. And he, he used them. He's a pretty good player. Um, well, yeah, to y- see- young Gadsden, 6'4", 190 pounds. So he's yeah, got some, some size too. Some of those growth numbers uh, carried over, for, uh, certainly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's an interesting offer. I mean, it's a lot of receiver offers lately, and people have been asking about that. We've addressed that on, on the board at Lions 24-7. Uh, you know, if you want to rec- uh, compare – uh, recruiting to fishing is one thing. This is more kind of like crabbing. I mean, you, you got to set out a bunch of pots to get what you want. Um, so you're keeping the, the these crab pots in the water uh, just to, to to see what you can, you know, stay in the mix with and, and get with. So, I mean, the, the, the guys are clear at the top of the board. I mean, I don't think there's any question about those Maryland three. And obviously, Dante Thornton doesn't seem to be doing anything, um, you know, publicly for a long time. Uh, Caden Prey, there's a guy that we, you know, keep watching uh, just uh, for a potential decision, especially with this uh, this dead period change. I still think Jaleel Farouk is leaning Oklahoma, uh, but you never know what can happen there. After that, you've got, you know, another tier of receivers. You mentioned Omega Blake uh, from South Carolina. I like him a lot. Uh, Andrew Wilson-Lamp, the West Virginia commit, has been on campus before. Um, and it's just all over Andrew the place. Andrew Anthony, a name that we mention every single episode, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we got to get our quota in for Andrew Anthony. So um, there's a bunch of guys. And, and then that we really, we're not even including Florida into that mix. And then you've got a bunch of guys down in Florida. Jay Wan Sider uh, is some sort of wizard in terms of keeping in touch with people. I, I talked to someone this week and, and we talked about a, even Tyleek Williams, who Penn State, you know, it, John Scott 
uh, didn't really pursue him with as much vigor as you would have thought based on where they were standing when he got here, um, but still stays in touch with Jaywan Sider every day. I mean, that's just a, uh, <laughs> that's just the way that Sider recruits. He's in contact with these guys constantly. So there's a bunch of Florida names in there. Um, we, we, we talked about it on our board last week, uh, you know, who the guys are probably the, the really the ones to know. But at the same time, I mean, th- there's a lot of pots in the water for this one. And, and uh, you know, it, you can't rely on, uh, you know, I'm sorry, his name escaped me for a second. You can't rely on Thornton for the long run. Can't rely on Farouk right now. You feel pretty good about Prater, uh, Prater, and then you have to move on to those other targets eventually. And you just want to be in a position when you can get these guys back onto campus that that you can make it work. So I think with with receiver recruiting, with a new receiver coach who has you know evaluated kids at different schools and and, and been other places where you can you know sort of uh, forge those relationships, develop those relationships. Really, it's a. I mean, is is it a meaningful offer? No. I mean, it's con- contingent on you visiting, contingent on you working out in front of the coach or all that kind of stuff. So, um, but, uh, you know, just to, to get your name out there, that's kind of what you have to do in recruiting these days. Yeah. Another reminder that these offers you see flying around college football, it's not, uh, yep, I'm in. Thanks for the offer. Uh, I'll commit now. That's not how most of these are going to work out. Um, Isaiah Brevard, speaking of recent offers uh, out of Mississippi, South Haven High School, number 20 in, in terms of rankings at wide receivers. So uh, carries some clout on the recruiting trail, probably more than some of the names we just mentioned. Penn State offers him last week, and he quickly goes from a top 10 that he put out last week or last month to a top seven on Monday, and he includes Penn State there. It's uh, it's it's a pretty eclectic mix of schools uh, all over the Power Five spectrum a bit. Uh, but he's got Penn State on there. Again, we'll see if he visits, all that different stuff, but very quickly reciprocating interest. Another one out of the Florida area, another one out of Miami Central where we're still keeping tabs on Amari Daniels at running back. Um, you'll Keith Brown, who is a guy who has strong interest on both sides of the ball as a, as a defensive back, as a wide receiver. He has Penn State in his top group that he recently put out, uh, for Brevard and Brown, they're both top sevens and, and Brown's a heck of an athlete. Uh, he's, he's a four-star status kid. Um, but you know, again, it, it's hard to make much uh, sense of these. One guy that we do have a pretty good sense of Sean is, is, is Dante Thornton, at least in terms of his familiarity with the program. He's been to Penn State more than any other school. Uh, he 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 knows full well what what James Franklin is about. Him and his family have, have been there plenty of times. They they've gotten a, a long look. And the thing with Thornton is he wants to take longer looks at other schools before he reaches a decision. And look, I have this piece up this week. Some thoughts from Christian Veyu, some thoughts from Landon Tangwall, and just some general thoughts about Dante Thornton's recruitment. A lot of people seem to think it, there's a great chance it comes full circle. No surprise to learn that Tangwall is is all aboard that hype train, and he thinks that this is going to be home for him at the end of the day. He doesn't see him making that, uh, specifically mentioned, he doesn't see him going all the way out to Oregon and making that investment uh, long distance. But, uh, you know, there's still a ways to go with Thornton. We, I will say this, uh, if anyone thinks they're going to close the door on him because of his extended timeline into January, don't see that happening. This kid is coming off a monster, monster junior year. He was already pretty darn special as a sophomore, which is why Penn State offered him way back then. He was the first member of this recruiting class in February of 2019. And oh, by the way, he's pushing 6'5", 190 pounds with this kind of athleticism. So uh, expect Penn State to stick around, expect to keep hearing him about the about him on this show as well. And Oregon has his attention right now. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, he wants to get out and see some more schools. I know Arizona State's involved as well. They've got some connections on that staff, and they seem to be 
uh, creeping up in this area in this region. So we'll we'll see what happens with Dante Thornton, but uh, that one I get I think is going to be a roller coaster. I think it's going to be a long ride, and and we'll see what happens when January comes. But yeah, I still I have no reason to believe Penn State's not heavily in the mix right there. So it'll be uh you know it, it it'll be a couple different recruitments as we said earlier. I mean, Caden Prather is the one to watch right now. I think he's probably the guy that uh, you know at any position that you could uh, look to. I mean, Maliki Mataveo is is going to decide next week, but of those guys that don't have decision dates, I think Prather's the one you just kind of sit and wait and wait for that tweet to come through about the announcement about the announcement. Well, as things stand, 12 commitments on board for the 2021 Penn State recruiting class, ranked 15th in the nation. We'll keep tabs. Of course, when things break, we'll address it here on the Lions 24-7 podcast and on Lions247.com. When we come back from a quick commercial break, some takeaways from conversations with a couple of seniors on the defensive side of the football for Penn State. Where does James Franklin land in CBS's rankings of college football's top coaches? And of course, the five-star mailbag to get to. Sean and I got you covered. Just a moment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday after the Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. On Wednesday afternoon, we had a chance to hop on Zoom with a couple of Penn State players. It's been great uh, on Penn State's end, uh, helping us get situated with not just the coaching staff over recent weeks and months with this whole process, but also now players getting access there. And stepping up to the mic was Shane Simmons and Tariq Castro-Fields, a couple of seniors, uh, certainly in different spots in their career as they get into 2020. We'll start with Simmons, former uh, top-ranked member of his recruiting class on defense. Miles Sanders was the top overall ranked recruit in that 2016 class but uh, always high expectations for Shane he has been nicked up at times during his career he has had some younger defensive ends come in and and, and make that competition more stiff at defensive end but uh, you know he talked about it a bit Sean you can talk about this a bit more than I can because you covered his recruiting recruitment so in depth but he says you know the journey from being that five-star guy when the pressure he faced early on campus and the expectations that are always around you and what it means when you can't fulfill them for everybody, um, you know, that, that does weigh on you. But then he also reflected on the fact that he just got his degree from Penn State. You know, he can really shift focus into making this final football season at the college level the best he can possibly maximize of it. Uh, he, he said he's kind of used to living on his own. He lives on his own usually um, when campus is in session, but he's just kind of sitting, waiting here on campus, waiting for his teammates to get back and trying to make the most of this fifth year. Uh, a really like interesting self-reflection out of, out of Shane, I think, uh, at the end of the day. I'm not surprised by that. Shane's a sharp kid. Um, you know, uh, he's been, uh, you know, really a, a guy that you could, you could want as a program representative, even though he has not come through 
on the field as much as you uh, would have hoped based on his pedigree. Um, you know, just the weight never came in the foot injury. And there's a lot of things that went into that, but never really, uh, you know, hasn't come around. So we'll, we'll see if he's got that opportunity in his final year. I know there's a lot of talent at that uh, defensive end position. And he's, he talked about that this week, you know, pretty openly about the, the younger guys that are trying to take uh, his job or move ahead of him. And, um, but uh, yeah, he's been a, a good representative and, and really just looking back to his recruitment, it's, uh, it's unfortunate because he's such a great kid. Um, but uh, yeah, I could see that pressure, you know, that he talked about. I mean, it's really, um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's held him back. I don't think that's what, that it's what held him back. Um, but it, it, I could see that weighing on him for a long time, but he's handled it well. He's been, like I said, a great representative for the university and he's been a guy that um, really, you know, it's just, it's unfortunate the chips have not fallen his way. Yeah, and then Shane Simmons, you know, we see him out there in a tank top in the summer every year, and you think, man, this kid's this kid's ready to blow up on the football field. And he played in every game last year. Let's not forget that. Uh, but yeah, he 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 was you know quick to point out that Adiza Isaac and Jason Away they look like eventual NFL players, and and he he called them the fastest defensive ends that that he's played with. So a lot of praise for those young players. I think he understands you know where things are on that depth chart right now, and I'm not counting him out of that competition, but uh, we've really primarily talked about Isaac and Oway being the ones who, who look prepared to fill Yitor Grossmanos' starting spot uh, now that he's going on to the NFL. And with Simmons, he also had some interesting comments on Bryce Mostella, Sean, and it sounds like Mostella is definitely staying on brand. Uh, he called him the weirdest person he's met, and that's a pretty quick impression because they only got to spend about two months together on campus. Hopefully everyone heard our conversation with Bryce Mostella here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. You'll get a better indication of why he feels like he is such a a unique person and why he wanted to find the right fit and culture where he could be himself in a locker room. But, uh, you know, Simmons said that half jokingly, maybe more than half jokingly about the weirdest guy he's met, but he also went into the fact that this kid is, is very skilled despite being raw. He compared his size at this stage of his career, kind of the, 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 the tools that he is equipped with coming to the campus. He said it reminds him a bit of a young Yitor Grossmatos, who he, of course, remembers. He got to campus a year ahead of Grossmatos, so he would uh, certainly remember the first time he, he stepped on campus and, and way before he ended up being a, a productive beast for Penn State on the defensive front. I just opened his Twitter. Uh, what a trip, man. I'm just, uh, Bryce Mostella is probably the weirdest person that any, any of these guys have met, and that's saying a lot. But uh, no, I mean, I, it's not the first time I've heard that about Yeter, and I think it's it's a dangerous comparison because Yeter was so much better than Bryce Mostella as a football player coming in, but they've got the same look. It's that lanky uh, sort of uh, length for days type uh, thing where, where he's going to build up, and he's not going to play this year. I mean, he's, he's an obvious redshirt. He's probably the, the most raw defensive end that they've brought in. Um, he's an obvious red shirt, but at this time next year, we're talking, we're going to be talking about him as probably a 260 pounder. So uh, it's, it, it will be uh, very fascinating to watch his development, even though we're not going to see it front and center on the football field to see his development. Cause you know, it, it, this is a couple of years of a project right here ahead of us. So um, Bryce Mostella is, is still offers that upside. And, you know, based on what I've heard, improvements were made during his short time on campus, but still a long way to go. I'm excited to see how this one goes just for the fact that, you know, there's so much to work with there and there's so much unknown and he checks some of the boxes, but, you know, the other ones are left completely blank uh, in terms of, you know, production and football uh, actual skill. And, and eventually you're going to have to need to 
to play football to be successful at this uh, at this level. So we'll see what happens with him. Uh, you know, he, he mentioned some of the other guys with uh, with Jason away with uh, Adisa Isaac. Of course, Smith Vilbert's in there as well. So um, it's it's a tough spot to break through. And, and like I said, Bryce Mostel is not coming through anytime soon. Um, but it's just uh, one of those intriguing storylines that you're just gonna have to stash away and and look at in a year or two and see where these guys are at because you know he's he's six six plus um he's gonna be eventually 270 pounds and that's you know yeter is probably not that tall but uh you know he's still got that that same frame that you can you can play with right there and it'll be really interesting to see how he moves with the added weight because that's going to go a long way in determining if he can make an uh, an impact here at penn state there are only a few of us on this Penn State beat, I believe, who have actually communicated with Bryce Mostella because we're, we're a little more focused in on recruiting. So I cannot wait until his first media availability when people try to ask him standard questions and get anything but standard answers and, and watch their reaction to the, to those kind of things. It's going to be fun. Um, not many guys left from that 2016 class. Shane Simmons is one of them. Um, and, and I think he understands, uh, very much that, that, you know, it, it, he's kind of let go of that five-star baggage. I think we talked about Yitor Grossmatos coming in after him. Uh, his former DeMatha Catholic teammate, Chase Young, just made himself a lot of money in the NFL draft. There was a time when Chase Young was known as the player following Shane Simmons into the spotlight at DeMatha Catholic. So he's come, uh, interesting journey. And, and if there's c- kind of that senior story you're rooting for this year, maybe it was Nick Bowers last year and seeing what he was able to do staying healthy being productive getting a lot of playing time it's probably Shane Simmons here in 2020 as a guy that you're hoping can finish his career on a high note and get an opportunity to, to maybe do something uh get his foot in the door at the next level uh, with with a nice finish to his college career Tariq Castro feels also on the call and you want to talk about someone who uh you know got on the field a lot early and often Tariq Castro fields one of the three true freshmen who burned a red shirt in 2017 Played extensively in 2018, stepped up as a starter full time uh, last year, and and we had Terry Smith on a phone call, I don't know, five or six weeks ago, and he said he felt like for the first half of the season last year that Castro Fields was was arguably playing first round NFL prospect football. He says there was then an injury development, and it was almost a tale of two seasons. You could see it on the football field during some key moments, and Castro Fields was really uh, kind of caught in the ire of a lot of fans when when Penn State's defense struggled down the stretch of the season. You know, really particularly at Minnesota, uh, Indiana coming and really torching them through the air, and uh, Memphis did a nice job of moving the ball in the passing attack. And so Castro Fields says he is fully healthy. Let's start there. He says he's good to go right now. Uh, he also also feels like this twenty uh, that this cornerback group is in a very good spot. But Sean, it, it's a stark contrast when you hear from Terry Smith to say he was going from a guy who maybe could be the first ever first round NFL draft pick at cornerback out of Penn State to a guy who you know quite frankly was was a liability on the field for you at times uh, as the season wore on. Yeah, refreshing honesty there. And he's right. I mean, for as much as I talked up John Reed in terms of his, his man coverage skills, Tariq Castro Fields was not, certainly not at that level. So, um, he needs to step up. He's got, uh, more gifts than, um, than Reed. If you can talk about, uh, you know, size and athleticism and things like that, John Reed's a heck of an athlete. But when you combine that size with the athleticism of Tariq Castro Fields, it's, it, it is, uh, something that pro scouts will look for. Um, you know, he's got to come through on the field this year. He started off 
off strong last year, had the big interception uh, against Maryland down at the goal line. And, uh, you know, I forget which game it was, but came off slowly and really just didn't seem the same after that. I think he had some stinger issues and kept leaving games and kept, uh, you know, it was sort of a brutal cycle for him. And I think he eventually missed the Rutgers game at the end of the season. So, um, you know, it, it will be interesting to see how um, how much that injury affected his play, um, because I, I, th- I still think he can be really good. Um, he's just got he's got a lot to prove. He's got a lot to bounce back from uh, the 2019 cornerback group that he spoke about um, is going to be pushing him. And I don't think that's a, a stretch to say that. Of course, you got Donovan Johnson in there as well. But uh, Keaton Ellis and Marquise Wilson are, gonna, I think, going to be right there. And I think we're going to see all four of them and probably going to see some Joey Porter uh, Jr. this year as well. So um, a good group in, in, as a whole. I think that they can, uh, you know, be a strong point of this defense. I mean, it's obviously a complimentary defense where, you know, you're going to need some help, more help from the safeties, but you got two seniors back there. So that, you know, in theory, at least on paper should help. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with, uh, with that group. Uh, Daquan Hardy, who I really didn't mention, you know, uh, it keeps being pointed to as a standout. Um, you know, it's, it, you know, it's going to have to come on the field for him. Obviously the size is something that's not going to change, but you know, it's got some dog in him. He's, uh, he's really, you know, a, a very, very good competitor as we've seen since he's been at the high school level. It's just going to, uh, it, it's easier to project those other guys because they are bigger. They are, um, you know, a little bit more, uh, experienced and polished, but, uh, Daquan Hardy, I think is going to have a say in it as well. don't know that he's going to completely break into that rotation, but you know, you, they, they like what they have in all four of those guys. Yeah, Castro Fields calls him Day Day, and he says that Hardy was the guy who, when you look at what they accomplished in the offseason conditioning program, and just through those couple months they got together in the winter, he was the guy who really shined. Um, and and I don't know if that's be necessarily because Ellis and and Wilson played a lot last year, and so maybe he was kind of categorizing Hardy differently when, when the question was framed as as a young guy who was stepping up. But Hardy was the name that he went right to. He says his ability to absorb the, uh, his responsibilities within the defense stand out at that young age. He also used an interesting phrase with Keaton Ellis, who got the start in his place against Rutgers when, when Tariq was sidelined. Uh, he said he is uh, very sturdy. And that's, you know, that sounds like something you'd say about a fourth or fifth year guy in the roster, not a guy who's been on campus uh, for just one year. So he also, of course, like everyone else, pointed to the confidence, swagger, whatever you want to call it of Marquise Wilson and what he kind of injects to the defense when he's out there. A guy who uh, him and Ellis both proved to be a bit of turnover machines during their first year, um, both burning redshirt status. And Joey Porter Jr., he has high hopes for. So, yeah, the lesson here is that 2019 cornerbacks class, it looks like it has the makings uh, to, to really be a, an impact here now. But also he said when he's gone, he, it's going to be in very good hands. And he says uh, this isn't going to surprise you because of the way we talk about the roster turnover and how they've recruited. Uh, he says the one thing that really stands out about this cornerback room is the one that he walked into uh, back in 2017 versus the one he feels he's going to be leaving. He thinks the talent level has really jumped in, in a notable way. Yeah, I, th- I, I agree with him because, I mean, and those 2019 kids, a couple of them have already done it on the field. I mean, even the flashes that we saw from Joey Porter, you know, there's there's a lot to like there. Daquan Hardy has a lot of fans in this program. It, you know, it's not uh, – I've heard it from multiple people. They compare him to a Grant Haley, maybe not the, the straight-line speed of a Grant because not many people have that. But, uh, you know, it just – there's a lot to like there. I could see him, you know, being a factor in the nickel package, maybe not this year, but maybe next year. Um, but uh, yeah, there's, there's certainly a lot to like. And, you know, you lost Trent Gordon to safety and, you know, it really doesn't 
do much for the outlook of this position. I think that says a lot. And Trent Gordon was your fourth corner last year. So the guy that should, uh, you know, seemingly move up the, the ranks is, is now at safety and he's been replaced by younger guys with, uh, a lot of length, a lot of athleticism. And we'll see where it, uh, where it goes from there. Still got to coach him up, still got to put him in the right spot. But, uh, you know, the, from a talent standpoint, I think they're in a pretty good position. And a reminder that Hardy got his offer the night before the February signing day. Uh, and so he was he was going to play football on the Mac if that did not happen. If you can hit on two of those four guys, I mean, really, that's what we're looking at for for a hit rate. Uh, that seems to be great and, you know, or seems to be good. Uh, if you can go three or four, that's great. I mean, if they can hit on all four of those guys, I mean, it's it's going to be pretty remarkable to see that. So uh, the jury's still out uh, on the, uh, you know, on, on Porter and Hardy when they take on a bigger role because there's, there's a difference between playing, um, you know, spot time and, and seeing where they're at and at the end of games versus uh, taking on a full-time role. But uh, they both have fans in that building and both are, um, you know, just uh, intriguing in their own way, even though they are kind of polar opposites from a, from a body type standpoint. And Terry Smith has lamented in the past the fact that Penn State has not produced a first-round cornerback out of the program ever in the NFL draft. Maybe that guy's in the room right now. Time will tell. Uh, by the way, one other takeaway. don't need to spend any time on this, but Shaka Tony, from, hearing from Shane Simmons, hearing from Tariq Castrofields, a guy who very much weighed that NFL draft decision last winter, sounds like he is the leader of the entire defensive group right now. So he's come a long way from... Uh, you know, that, 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 that wiry three star out of Philadelphia to now a guy who's being counted on not just for his play, but for setting the tone for a defense that has high expectations here. Um, so I thought that was an interesting takeaway. Uh, not, not super surprised here because John Scott said it was important for him to have that leader in the room and that Shaka Tony is the one that he's needed to connect with. Uh, but hearing it from a guy who's playing back in the secondary at cornerback and pointing immediately to Shaka Tony as not just the leader of his unit, but the leader of that entire defensive group uh, that speaks volumes. Um, and that, that and that's not really new. I mean, we talked to, to him at Media Day, and it's just uh, the the way that he approached answering questions, the way that he you know was talked about by his teammates. It really, there's a lot to go with it. Shaka is his own dude. I mean, he's a different guy, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think he's very helpful for those young guys. He's very uh, cerebral, I guess it would be the approach for it. And you know, if that 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 level of play comes along uh, with uh, you know with his game, then you know there, there's a lot to like there. But yeah. You're going to lean to Shaka Tony. You got you got to lean to to Castro Fields in the secondary. They got those two safeties. You got Shelton up front. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, potential veteran leadership that you could see turning over from that 2019 team to that 2020 team uh, on on defense. So see where that uh, see which direction that takes Penn State. Speaking of leadership. CBS, our friends over there, put together a list. Nice segue. Thank nice you. segue. Yeah. <laughs> we get a few of them every once in a while. Um, James Franklin, of course, among the top-rated coaches in college football. You see that his placement vary from list to list. CBS has their own. We're going to go through it right now. Um, and, Sean, it starts with Nick Saban, six-time uh, national champion, uh, five of them with the Crimson Tide. It feels like it's almost weird him not being in the national champion or not being the national champion back-to-back uh, off-seasons. That doesn't happen very often, but he's number one. Dabo Sweeney, number two. Some people still view, despite what they're doing at Clemson and what they've built, maybe Dabo Sweeney is going to be the heir apparent to Nick Saban eventually at Alabama. Kind of hard to see that happening now because the Clemson rocket ship just continues to take off. 
They're a staple in that national title game. Uh, he is at number two. No surprise there. And then Lincoln Riley. You want to talk about a coaching transition going well for you? People were wondering how things would go for the Sooners with Bob Stoops gone. All they've done at Oklahoma is be uh, you know, the team that makes the college football playoff and churns out uh, top quarterback prospects in the NFL. Two number one picks, two Heisman Trophy winners, and then Jalen Hurst goes to the Eagles in round two. There's your top three. Anything you want to add there, Sean? <laughs> I, I I lack scorching hot takes of coaching lists, especially in May of a pandemic. So no, yeah. I'm I, I'm good with that. Uh, Dabo, you can make a case for number one based off of the last two years, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that. I mean, that, I think that's the top three clear cut. I mean, I don't think there's any question. Ed Orgeron climbs from number 30 last year to number four, and, and he's going to have to back that championship run up. But that championship run happened. We saw it impressive. They went through Clemson to make it happen, and they did it in pretty convincing fashion there. People are going to be wondering, you know, look, you lost the whiz kid coach to the Carolina Panthers. You lost this, uh, you know, amazing season quarterback, Joe Burrow. And what happens now for LSU? They bring back a lot of talent. He's at number four. And I think after him, the, the list gets a bit trickier because you're talking about either A, guys who have not won national championships or B, guys who have won a championship, but it's a little bit further in the rearview mirror and it's kind of carrying their reputation Brian Kelly, it feels like whenever we see him in a scenario where a national championship game or uh, the opportunity to get to that game is on the line, it's not good for the Fighting Irish. He's at number five. Seems high to me, Sean. I know this is one where you pointed to the question, but I feel like you can keep making a case for a lot of guys in these spots. Behind him is Kirby Smart, who has obviously done great things at Georgia. They fell shy of their expectations, I think it's fair to say, last year. Uh, But they were close to winning a national title just a couple of years ago with a freshman quarterback in place. And then another SEC coach at number seven. This is where I kind of reference the national title fading in the rearview mirror. Did it with Jameis Winston at Florida State in 2013. Goes a long way to solidifying him in this top 10. But for what Texas A&M invested in their football program and for what they've really been expecting in this SEC ladder and their ability to climb it, uh, he's got work to do there in College Station. You mentioned that the the national championship uh, set him up for this spot. I think it, it's entirely on that spot. I mean, obviously, you know, a couple of what seven and uh, excuse me, nine and four and eight and five in the last two years at A and M with the investment that they made in him and the investment that they made in the program. I mean, I don't want to. I, I don't know the situation. I don't want to say that he's you know uh, underused utilizing talent, but you're in Texas and, and and right now where Texas is and where all those other schools are. I mean, that's. Uh, that's I I have a tough time seeing him as a coach ahead of some of these other guys, maybe a top 10 guy, but, uh, you know, ahead of uh, who we'll get to on the list, James Franklin at number nine, Ryan Day at number 10. Uh, that's, uh, you know, they must be putting a lot of stock into that Florida State national title there with with Jimbo Fisher. And I also think Brian Kelly, uh, you you could make our I think he's a top 10 guy, but uh, is he number five? Eh, I mean, this is again. I've got no scorching hot takes in May on this list, but this is kind of the thoughts that run through my head when I look at this list. Yeah, by the way, Fisher, I think you got to dock him a little bit, a lot maybe, for how he left that Florida State program. If you're talking about a guy building a program, he left that one in shambles. And and there's, you know, you talk to people who are familiar with that. It's a lot of that was how he handled 
uh, his job there with the Seminoles the last year or so. Um, so yeah, Dan Mullen, number eight, James Franklin, number nine, the difference between those two. Well, there's several, but you look at Dan Mullen, he has not won a conference championship. He's the only guy in the top 10 here who has not won a conference championship. Clearly did a lot of good things for Mississippi State, was poached away by the Florida Gators. They are viewed as, as the, the big threat in the SEC East this year. Um, 21 wins in the first two seasons, but I think we look at James Franklin, you know, since the turning point back in 2016, they're 42 and 11 since 2016. Uh, they've only lost nine games since they were blown out on the road uh, at, and at Michigan, including that Big Ten championship run that was way ahead of schedule for a lot of people. I think, well, y- y- you add up the math here and, and ultimately you look at those one point losses to Ohio State and back to back years. And, uh, you know, that that's going to consistently, as as Franklin would say, hold hold the program from great to elite. And I think a lot of people's eyes, it's going to prevent putting James Franklin in that elite category and say, putting him maybe at number five or something in place of Brian Kelly, you know, uh, those Ohio state's the bugaboo here and Ryan day right behind him at number 10. You think if Ryan day has a repeat performance, he's going to be a major riser in these rankings next year. He was ranked 45, uh, before coaching a game last year in the 2019 rankings that CBS put out now, number 10, you talk about the transition Lincoln Riley had very similar to what they experienced at Columbus. I saw the ratio on the tweet when this went out uh, with the CBS Sports rankings, and I'm going to guess uh, Buckeye Nation got a hold of this list at some point because uh, there's some some fiery takes in there. I'm sure I chose not to click on that to expand it. Uh, I think it improved my day. So uh, <laughs> Ryan Day, I, I agree with you. I think Ryan Day is going to be much higher on this list next year. He's, uh, you know, I think he's a pretty good coach, and he's turns got out he's a, a pretty good recruiter too. Yeah, and when you've got to the, the the weapons to work with that he's got, I mean, you've got you've got the big tanks, you've got uh, you've got the firepower, you've got uh, certainly you know the best quarterback in the Big Ten, one of the best quarterbacks in the country coming back. Yeah, I could see, I can make a case for him being higher, um, you know, at this time next year. Uh, others hopefully, in the big- hopefully we're not hopefully we're not talking about this 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 time next year. <laughs> others in the Big Ten, we wanted to mention in the top twenty-five: Jim Harbaugh at twelve, Kirk Ferentz at fourteen. P.J. Fleck at 15, Paul Christ 17, and Pat Fitzgerald 21. So those are the others out of the Big Ten in the top 25. Uh, and yes, you heard that correctly. James Franklin, number one among all Big Ten coaches uh, by one spot ahead of Ryan Day. So he's at number nine. Um, and that's our story. And we're sticking to it. There's uh, the CBS rundown. And there's our rundown of their compilation of coaching rankings. And they won't be the first coaching rankings we see this offseason uh, it's, it's that time of the year, folks. So five-star mailbag time here on the show. We've enjoyed the questions rolling in, uh, each and every week. We've got a bunch to choose from. We, I think I woke up this morning and there were like four new ones on the, po- uh, up on Apple podcast, which is where you want to leave that five-star rating and review along with your question for us to get to. That's where we're looking at the Apple podcast. Um, so I didn't even get a chance to address the four that showed up this morning because we already had a couple locked in last night, Um, but let's get to it. Since the 2018 recruiting class, Penn State is over with in-state kids above a 90 rating on the 24-7 sports composite. That includes the 2021 class with only one 2021 kid even uh, only leading with Penn State in the current crystal ball. The question is, what gives with in-state recruiting, especially in the loaded 2021 class? The 2018 class gave fans the feeling they'd start to win these elite recruiting battles, but they've swung and missed on almost every high-end kid they've gone after since then, even in PA. Wow, that's a. I just realized there's a lot of stuff in that question. So there it is. There's a, 
There's a lot to unpack there. There's some data skewing going on because in 2019, there was only one prospect above a 90 in the composite, uh, Andrew Kristoffic, who Penn State didn't offer. Um, and then in 2020, uh, Julian Fleming, obviously, that's the one that I think everybody points to. And Michael Carmody, who, who Penn State was in on early and uh, ended up going to Notre Dame. Um, you know, the, the line for our uh, four star on the 24-7 composite is right around an 89-ish. Uh, it's with some decimal points in there. Uh, Penn State uh, got two of three in uh, 2019, uh, including uh, uh you know, to, that three includes Kristoffic, who they didn't offer. And then we went a four with uh, with Zariah Fisher. I think the point stands. I think it, it is worth uh, taking a deeper look at uh, because in 2021, you've got a bunch of guys um, that go above that that threshold. Uh, Nolan Rucci and, and Derek Davis still on the board, obviously, um, did not offer uh, Jeremiah Trotter Jr. Uh, for whatever reason. Uh, if you're not offering, you're not in the game. Uh, that's uh, that's one thing. Uh, you, you look at Kyle McCord and, and Marvin Harrison as sort of a package. Uh, not a package deal, but uh, the same sort of thing um, in that, uh, you know, they, they really weren't coming to Penn State. And, and uh, you know, your job as a coach is to make them want to come to Penn State. Just didn't happen. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's concerning. Uh, I think it's it's a reflection of, of where they were um, in certain areas of the state at certain times. And really, they've let Philly get, get, get away from them. And I think that's really what it comes back to. You lost Elijah Judy this time, which is a, a big target for them. Um, you know, Taishim Johnson, I don't think anybody's going to be worried about him going elsewhere. And, uh, you know, the fact that he's still rated so high is, is kind of, uh, interesting because he's probably going to end up at a, in an Arizona state and an old miss or something like that to play running back. So I think his projection will change. Um, so, I mean, I think it is certainly, uh, um, you know, alarming when you take a look at the talent level coming back in 2021, and then it's going to go, uh, back up in 2022 and 2023 is the early returns are big. So you have to reestablish yourself. They've done some switching around of guys. Uh, like I said, Philly just be kind of became a wasteland. Not that there was the high end talent for them to offer in that uh, in that area, but they've kind of let that get away from them. Um, you know, you, you had Phil Galliano in Philly, South Jersey, and Delaware, and really kind of have to start over at some of those spots uh, after that uh, that tenure that you got through. So, um, you know, I, I I don't disagree with the point. I think the data is a little bit uh, you know skewed to uh, to make it sound worse than it is, but they need to get back in it. They got to win that battle again for for Rucci. They got to win that. That battle for Derek Davis and and really that will go a long way and, and and you have to build up for that 2022 class and I think that's something they've started to do they've put Terry Smith in Philadelphia they've put some some extra resources some extra guys uh, Taylor Stubblefields in that area as well you just have sort of started to throw some reinforcements that way and you're going to help that it re, it starts to rebuild because you know it really in Philly and Jersey are two spots that they've um, sort of fallen off the table within the last couple of cycles and it, it really hasn't been pretty. No, and, and I think there is a point to be made here, like like the, the question led off with. The 2018 class really seemed to set the stage for, for big in-state recruiting success, and Micah Parsons uh, clearly was the catalyst of that, but you go down the list, and Penn State won a lot of top 10 players over. You know, tight end Zach Koontz, uh, Nick Tarburton was number six in the state uh, coming out of high school. Jesse Lucetta, although he's a Canadian, spent his uh, high school career here to the end, became a, a standout player and an all-state player in Erie, Pennsylvania. Juice Scruggs, the top lineman on either side of the ball um, when you look at the 24-7 rankings. Jahan Dotson, and, uh, you know, so th- it was a great class in state in 2018. And, and you know, like we've said, there's ebbs and flows here. It's not a Florida, California, Texas situation where you can, you know, always count on a couple dozen at least power five 
prospects coming through, blue chip kind of players coming through. You got to work through that. We've heard Franklin talk about, you know, there's going to be years where you need to, to find ways to, to find a balance outside of the state, outside of the region. Um, years where you can get the cream of the crop here in Pennsylvania, you got to be able to do it. That Julian Fleming swing and a miss. And I think that is at the root of a lot of the angst that we hear in the question and that we do hear from fans when this topic comes up. And that's not going to get any better. It's going to intensify if he comes back in a Buckeyes uniform in Beaver Stadium and plays well uh, against them this fall. And, and of course, I think Rucci, you know, if Rucci does leave and he opts to go, whether it's Clemson or Wisconsin, that's going to fan the flames here. If you win over Rucci, then it, it, it quells the thing. You know, it, it just feels like such a swing decision for Penn State uh, here because there's so much eyes are, are on the situation being not just the top player in Pennsylvania, not just the guy who has pretty well engaged with the Penn State staff for a while now, but a Penn State legacy. So to see him go somewhere else, whether it's a, a powerhouse like Clemson or another team in the Big Ten, doesn't really matter where he goes, I think. Um, it matters that he didn't pick Happy Valley. Uh, it's huge. I mean, there's there's no way around it. I mean, this is a kid uh, at a premium position right in your backyard. It's your legacy. I mean, for, for, for all the things Penn State had going with Julian Fleming, there's even more to work with, uh, with, with Nolan Rucci. And, uh, you know, they've, they've got to prove that they can, they can make that step and, and be that guy. I think Phil Troutwine's done a fantastic job with that, but, uh, it's, uh, there's, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, there's no way around it. I mean, you got to get him, um, Derek Davis. Uh, I mean, there, there's no such thing as a must get, but these guys are, are pretty close. So, uh, it's, uh, it, it's certainly the litmus test of where you stand in state. Um, I know everybody is sort of their, it's a case by case basis with a kid, you know, for every kid, but you got to win these battles if you want to be where you want to be. And now Donovan McMillan up to number six in state rankings, as we mentioned earlier. Um, question here from Saquon Sanders, who we have heard from before. So uh, a repeat question here. Thanks for, for that. He said he was it's scrolling. A po- it's a popular name these days to name your kid Saquon. <laughs> so uh, He says he was scrolling through the Lions 24-7 site. Always a highly recommended thing to do. He said he found the top Penn State recruits of all time. Out of the top 20 recruits, about 10 or so players haven't panned out for whatever reasons. Do rankings matter? And what goes into the process of giving a player their ranking? Uh, you know what? I'm kind of behind on this because I clicked on the wrong page to get to where we needed to go. Um, do do rankings matter? Do individual rankings matter? Well, they they go away once you step on campus, and that that that's where the development starts. That's where a lot of that stuff goes. Uh, you know, from you know. Uh, suffice to call it hype to uh, to substance and and really it hasn't come across with that I, I looked at the list a little bit earlier uh, I think there's a cutoff there in terms of uh, when you're talking about uh, recruiting rankings before 2012 or something like that I, I don't know that there's a, an actual number but uh, you know you look at the the dots beside the guy and it was just when scout and rivals were there so a little less going into the evaluation there I mean I look at a guy like Eric Shrive and and say there's really no way that he would be as highly ranked uh, today as he was uh, back in the day because there's there's more information available. There's more um, in-person evaluations, things like that. So, but, but the point stands. I mean, some of these guys haven't panned out. You look at the guys that came in in the 2018 class. 
obviously Micah Parsons hit big. Uh, Justin Shorter did not. Ricky Slade did not. So, I mean, there's uh, there's development issues there. We, we saw flashes of talent from some of those guys. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's hit and miss on an individual level. Um, and it's, uh, you know, the, these uh, star rankings matter in, in, in the big picture because you look at who's in the playoff every year. You look at the, you know, the way that they recruit and the way that they bring these guys in. Um, it's not the rankings that get them there, but it's the talent that gets them there. And the talent is obviously going to going to uh, rise to the top at the end of the day, but uh, it's also development. Um, some schools do a fantastic job developing. I think Penn State has improved its development, uh, you know, from from a standpoint of, of Franklin has elevated that. You look at some of the top picks that he's had and the top guys that have gone uh, and produced for him, uh, you know, not necessarily the highest rated guys. So, uh, you know, I think there's, uh, there's a lot of talking around to be done. Um, you know, they've hit on some, they miss on some. I, I don't think Penn State is out of the realm of uh, of the typical for that. So uh, what we continue to see um, the evaluations sort of uh, uh, evolve as they come along. It's much better than it was 10 years ago. It's much better than it was uh, or much more informed than it was five years ago. So as those continue to see, I think we see a bigger hit rate uh, right now. Looking at that list, um, you know, I think the, the ones you're going to point to, obviously, Morelli and Hackenberg, who, you know, from from – uh, from a stat standpoint, from a uh, you know a win standpoint, had pretty decent college careers, but not the guys that you thought they were. Um, you hit on uh, Miles Sanders, who of course you know is rated higher than Saquon Barkley, but then you hit on Saquon Barkley. It's there's a lot that you can you can wring out of this. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, they, I think they've done a pretty good job developing players. Um, and yeah, I do, I do believe I'm I'm a firm believer that 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 rankings as a whole matter. But when you get onto campus, th- those all go away. And they're not throwing darts at a board here at twenty four seven sports. I mean, we can speak for for the for the product that the brand we represent puts out. You hear from Brian Doan, the diligence. Uh, these guys are spending hours on phone calls every week just with each other. That's that's without talking to players and high school coaches and college coaches for for feedback and and all the different stuff that goes into this. But you know they're making their case for certain guys. They're making their case against certain players. Um, and sometimes you've seen that play out with with you know something like the Derek Davis versus Donovan McMillan piece that that was put out by Barton and Brian Doan. Uh, that was interesting to read. And, and I think you mentioned watch the college football playoff in in, in early January. And, and you'll see that stars matter uh, even more so the way that that I know our process kind of equates to is what happens those three days in April during the NFL draft. And that's where you really see. And it's always funny. This many three stars were drafted and only this many five stars were drafted. Clearly, rankings don't matter. Well, this is where we have to remind everybody that there are hundreds of three stars every year. And the way 24-7 sports does it, there are 32 five stars. So you look at the percentages of how many of those guys get drafted, where they get drafted versus, you know, the, 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 in the grand scheme of things, all these, this huge pool of three stars, uh, you know, you can always make the numbers work for how you want to make them work. But if you look at them, uh, you know, with a deep dive and, and kind of the way they're meant to be interpreted every year after the draft, 24 seven sports does a nice job of, uh, of, of tuning its own horn. And, and they did it again this year. And I think it was Chris Summer who had a really analytical jump into the data um, and, and really, again, at the back end of the whole process, four or five years after you're giving these guys these the rankings coming out of high school, they hold up pretty well. Yeah. And um, I'm sorry, I'm looking through this list right now and there's some 
quite a few names from the past, but then as you get into it more, um, there's, there's, there's actually quite a few guys on the current roster. Um, you go down, there's a stretch there with Devin Ford, Caden Wallace, Jason away, PJ Mustafer, and you Brandon get Cameron Smith. Lake, who you had a pretty good, yeah, yeah. The, in fact, Brandon Smith is above them all, but CJ Thorpe, Adisa Isaac, I mean, you're talking, uh, top, uh, in the top 45 for these guys. So, um, a lot of talent, uh, that's still on campus. And, it, and it's funny, you mentioned the draft. It, it, it's always crazy to me. And I just kind of think this to myself, when, when you see those guys, those five-star guys, those those highly regarded guys go late in the draft, even after a, a substandard college career, and there's a reason for that too. I mean, you know that the talent's there, you know that the, that they've got a lot to work with. So it doesn't always pan out, doesn't always work out, but uh, I think the odds are are good and they're getting better. As I said, the the uh, research that goes into it, the information that goes into it night and day from when I started in 2016, when you're trying to scrape for, uh, you know, clips. And I don't even know if YouTube was a factor back then. So um, it's 2006, uh, I think you meant because 2016, if you didn't know YouTube was. A oh, factor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. 2006. <laughs> uh, it all runs. 2016 <laughs> had another kid and it all went to hell. So yeah, right. um, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it, 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 not everybody's going to hit and that's not the expectation, but uh, I think we've done a pretty good job of, of coming along with that. Um, and with that said, yes, Penn State has missed on some. Everybody's missed on some. I think there's some recency bias here, just as there was with the in-state question fresh off of Julian Fleming going to Columbus. You're, we're fresh off of an offseason where Justin Shorter and Ricky Slade head elsewhere because things weren't going to materialize for them here on campus. And I think that's that's something that has been a story uh, aligned this offseason. And if Justin Shorter goes to Florida and turns on the Jets and turns into an all-SEC kind of player, then you wonder what the heck happened here. But you know, look, I'll, I'll say it. I saw a top flight five-star wide receiver recruit at South Brunswick on the camp circuit when Justin Shorter was on it. I never saw that kid in person here in Happy Valley. Never, I just never saw it in a game. I didn't, we didn't get a chance to see that on the practice field. We heard there were flashes. We heard it. It was just was going to take one game to get that rhythm. I like Justin as a person. I didn't see that same player on a Big Ten football field. And Ricky Slade, we've talked about it, number one all-purpose back. I, I think there's more to attribute there to, to the talent in the room. I, I still think he can uh, transition to a program and, and be, you know, be a guy who touches the ball 20 times a game and can do some good things with it. But just the way that room rose up in a hurry around him at running back, um, you know, it just it wasn't in the cards for him here at Penn State. But I don't really know what to make of Justin Shorter. He's a huge mystery for me because I, I'm not going to say what I didn't see. I remember talking with Bud Elliott about this kid down in Orlando. You were down there, too, at the All-America game um, before he came to Penn State. And, you know, just about everybody was in consensus agreement that he looked like if he wasn't the number one wide receiver in the entire country, he needed to be a part of that conversation. And again, we just did not see that kid here in campus. Yeah, there's there's information out there that uh, that we miss. Um, obviously, I think the uh, the competitiveness aspect of it we missed was shorter. I mean, he looked like he didn't look like a guy who was going through the motions, but he looked like a guy. It just came all so easy for him, and that that's great um, in one aspect. But at the same time, um, was he asserting himself? And that that's really been the thing. I mean, since uh, August of his, uh, you know, freshman year, actually, maybe even before that, that uh, you just didn't see that that alpha dog mentality. And for for some of these positions, for most of these positions, I mean, if you're going to be the top guy, you got to be, you got to believe you're the top guy, and and do that with more than quiet confidence. And that's that's something that uh, you know you don't always it doesn't always show up. I mean, when you're out there running away from from guys in uh, in, in Brunswick, New, in, in New Brunswick, I mean, it's it's one thing. But when you're out on the field with guys 
guys that have, you know, sort of uh, been or, or sort of are your equals on an athletic level, you better have something else. And that's really where we missed it with Justin Shorter. And again, I, I still think the talent's there. I think he can be productive at Florida. I think he can be a good college receiver and eventually, you know, play at the next level based on his talent alone. But he's going to have to do some things to get himself there. And and unfortunately for, for Penn State fans, that's not what you saw from him uh, during his short time on campus. And quick note, it wasn't just in Jersey with Justin Shorter. The kid was a first-team performer at the opening uh, out, out at Nike headquarters in Oregon that summer, too. I mean, he lit up the national camp circuit in a way that validated a, a rise from outside the top 100 to the top 10 by the by the time rankings were set. So, again, you just this is all part of the process. It goes back to, look, the, the, on the grand scheme, rankings do matter, but – there's going to be you got to look at it case by case if you want to really break down a, a, a player's projection and, and all that stuff it's just so hard to tell and at quarterback Christian Hackenberg's a great example he looked like a future number one pick or something like that as a freshman at Penn State uh, never threw a pass in the in an NFL regular season game you just it's it's hard to quantify sometimes what you're looking at uh, on the football field and that's why you see so much turnover in NFL front offices general managers don't last long head coaches don't last long uh, fortunately, 24/7 analysts seem to outlive a lot of those guys here, so uh, it's good. It's we always enjoy hearing from from our rankings council. A big tip of the cap to them. I know they take heat on weeks like this when they put their rankings out, but uh, you know, kudos to, to to guys like Brian Doan and and uh, Barton Simmons and Steve Weltfong and everybody for for the diligence that they put into the process. Those rankings again up on lines247.com on 24/7 Sports. That's going to do it for the mailbag today. That's going to do it for the show. Sean, want to give you a quick opportunity to tease your trimmings daily, uh, you know, daily trimmings. I don't know what we're calling it. Maybe we should call it the crab pot because of your comparison earlier. What, what do we got cooking this week? I liked my crabbing comparison. I, I liked it. That's, I liked it enough to rename your your daily uh, trimmings. No, no, we're going to stick <laughs> stick with the trimmings. Uh, for, for today, we're talking uh, – actually, I'm not sure if we're running this podcast Thursday or Friday, but uh, we've got some things uh, brewing there. We're going to talk uh, new recruiting territories for coaches. We're going to talk uh, – yesterday, we talked uh, – uh, about uh, the freshmen and, and their development since they got on campus on Jan- in January. Unfortunately, that's been uh, sort of stuttered uh, with the uh, with the shutdown. But uh, a lot of good stuff going up every day. Do encourage you to check it out. It's been pretty popular so far. And yeah, we're going to keep up with that. And we're going to keep up with this podcast. Although uh, we're going to miss you for the first episode next week. I know Tyler's got some some stuff that he, he needs to take care of. So we just decided to punt. I know it's Memorial Day on Monday. So uh, we're just going to come back at you at with you excuse me come back at you with a new episode late next week we went over an hour on both these podcasts this week so don't feel too terribly about it but uh by the time we we resume activity next week and get ready to record again i expect a bunch uh to dig through with that mailbag gonna be make it a hard selection for us go to apple Podcasts, drop your five star rating and review throw your question in there we will get it to the show might not be immediate but we will get it to the show as we've been doing thanks again to everybody out there a vip subscription 60 percent off until friday at midnight Check out our content, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. On behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. You've been tuned in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. 
What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.